0: we're kicking off a brand spanking new series. And, and the series is gonna be focused on big, big. God is big, okay? Big God. And as I was thinking a little bit about this, I was thinking, what is my illustration? What's my thing gonna be that I'm gonna share that kind of kicks off this whole series? And the thing that I wanted to th- talk about is gonna connect with about three of you in here, and you're a hunter if you're one of those three, okay? The rest of you, sorry, this is what you got to put up with, with me kind of up here. But here's, here's here's what I was thinking. Right about now in the hunting world, people start sharing pictures of bucks that are starting to grow antlers. You got property and you're starting to take pictures and you're starting to share, hey, look at this one that's on my property, this one during deer season. Hey, this is one we're gonna you know, come after. And I got four brothers and I got two brother-in-laws and my dad and we basically, uh, we're always sharing pictures of what's going on, what we're seeing in the area and all this kind of stuff, right? Well, I was just thinking about it like this. I was thinking, okay, what if my dad were to send me a picture like this one, okay? What if my dad were to send me a picture? If my dad were to send me a picture of a buck like this, I would be like, hey, cool, awesome. Can't wait for hunting season, Uh, you know, coming up here. It's good to know there's some deer on the property, dad. Awesome, let's, yep, that's exciting. Now, what if he were to send me a picture of something that looked like this, okay? Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you start to, man, you're like, okay, hey, by the way, I get to pick first this year which stand I'm gonna be at, right? Because you're like, man, that's a shooter buck, man. We'll go after that guy. Like we'd be fired up for something like this, right? We'd be excited about something like that. Now, what if if my dad were to send me a picture of something like this, right? Yeah, all of a sudden. Now it's like I look over at my wife and I say, hey babe, how much vacation time could I potentially put towards like a fall bow hunt or something like that? So that I could maybe run up to Wisconsin, jump on the land and actually do some bow hunting uh, because this guy's up there and, and um, you know, it'd be good to maybe spend some time focused and in on him more than just the regular hunting season. Does that make sense? Now what if my dad sends me a picture of this guy? Oh. Bye, see you later. <laughs> see you later. I'm I'm out of here. I would literally get in my car and drive to Wisconsin today to put a plan together, right? Because listen, the bigness, the, I, I was trying to think, do I say it? sometimes size matters, no just keep moving, just keep moving. Just keep going. Sometimes, the, listen, the bigness of this animal, right, is going to change my perspective in how I begin to interact with this thing. It might just be cool, awesome, nice, or it might be jump in the car. This is my, one, this is my sole focus because we're dealing with Wisconsin's, right, w- w- state record or something, you see? The the bigness of something can sometimes change our perspective and it can actually start to change how we think about things. I'll be the first to admit, when I think about God, I oftentimes think about God smaller. That's just me personally. I think of God very much in connection to Jesus of Nazareth. God in the flesh walking around. I think of, when I pray, when I get down on my knees and I pray, I think of oftentimes Jesus, my brother who I can follow and walk with and my master, yes, my teacher, yes, but he's, he, there's a connection to even my prayers being towards father and those kinds of things. Even the difference between my wife, my wife thinks of Jesus much more in connection to king. There's a, you know, there's a little different thinking there. Some of you might think different thoughts a little bit or, or different characteristics of who God is. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, so much of my thinking about God is oftentimes smaller. What is God when we start to think about him? Big. Mega. You know, Donald Trump would say, huge. Okay, I thought that'd get me a little more, but that's fine. (laughs) Or huge or whatever, however he says it, I don't know huge, right? There's a meme out there somewhere. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. We're going to read this one verse, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Here it is. Kids, you guys got it? Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God. That's, the, that's going to kick off our series. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Let's pray and then we're gonna engage this, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds right now to hearing how big you are. May I, God, I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know that my preaching and my use of language today will fall so short of, of giving you the kind of, Uh, that you need because of who you are. I know it's going to fall short. I can't say it. I can't, I will not be able to give the kind of preaching that's needed to convey how big and immense and huge you are. Give us a glimpse today. May we see just a little glimpse, please, right now. Please, oh God, help us to see a glimpse of you. Maybe even just, just like the Apostle Paul says, God, when he says, just dimly today, just kind of blurry and someday clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the beginning, God. Uh, I was reading, just kind of reflecting back on a book that I like. It's called uh, Creation and Fall Temptate and Temptation by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and he engages these initial words from Scripture. In the beginning, God. God, this is what he says. And I found this fascinating. Listen to this. Man no longer lives in the beginning. He has lost the beginning. Now he finds himself in the middle. This is you and me. He finds himself in the middle, knowing neither the end nor the beginning. And yet knowing that he is in the middle, coming from the beginning and going towards the end. He sees that his life is determined by these two facets of which he knows only that he does not know them. The animals do not know about the beginning and the end, therefore they know no hatred and no pride. Man, aware of being totally deprived of his self-determination, because he comes from the beginning and is moving towards the end without knowing what this even means, hates the beginning and rises up against it in pride. Now that went deep fast. I get it. I get it. The beginning. Uh, What does it look like? What does it look like for, for us to think about the beginning from the middle. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Seth. In the beginning, God. And so we, right off the bat, wanna start asking questions about how, where, when, who, what's going on, who is this God? In the beginning, God. Was it before the beginning? We don't even know. We're we're asking questions instantly because we already begin to feel and experience the limits. We're limited. Right off the bat, the very first words of Scripture shows us our limits. I can see on the faces, you're thinking... You're thinking, this is good. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, already it is beginning to shape at the beginning of Scripture our perspective. And it begins to reveal man's limits. Typically, when we think about God, typically when you, when you kind of study God, theology, the study of God, a lot of times theologians have put two terms with the study of God and who he is. It's, you might think of God in the sense of the ontological Trinity. Now we're not gonna get into this today, but what I, what I mean by ontological Trinity is God who he is in his essence as he relates to himself. Just the isness of God, his, he just is, and the way in which he relates to himself before eternity and into eternity, it just is the, the way we would start to talk about the, 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 the well, uh, now I'm getting into some different terms, but the usia, the, the essence of God. The other term is the economic trinity. The economic trinity is the way in which this God is interacting in our world. The way in which he interacts with us. And see, we we really can't start to even think about or know God until God begins to do the work of the economic God stuff as he reveals himself to us. Otherwise, in the beginning, God, not you, not me, in the beginning, God, but he then begins to reveal and show. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so theologians have done that. They, they study, their, there's a sense in which you study the essence of who God is. And then you also begin to study the way in which he's interacting and active in our world, directing his attention towards us. The reason I'm bringing this up is because the question quickly becomes just how big is God? This past week, I was looking at and studying probably the hardest theological books that I have. I mean, I was reading sentences and paragraphs about stuff. I'm like, this guy could literally be making stuff up right now. It just was so big. And I wanted to do that intentionally on our behalf as a church. I wanted to start immersing myself in the bigness of God. His just meganess. Because I think that there's something about thinking about him as big God that that is sometimes even missing in my own life. And so when I throw something around like ontological trinity or the economic trinity, it's like, what the heck? What are you even talking? Well, it's just so we're trying to wrap our head around this thing. We're trying to, trying to understand and try to think about just a little bit. I want to immerse us as a church into how big he is. And so today what I want to do, you know, Isaiah of chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 talks about God being able to, to with the span of his hand, mark off the universe. I Googled this past week how big the universe is. I looked up, I tried to get as authority as like NASA, how big is the universe, right? So I have no idea if this is true or not. It's probably not, but whatever. This is what the, how big the universe is. According to NASA, I think right now, the the universe that we, as we know it, is 92 billion light years up uh, the distance. That's how big the universe is. 92 billion light years. One light year, not 92 billion, one light year is 5.88 trillion miles. Trillion. 5.88 trillion. Trillion miles is one light year. Right now they're saying the universe is 92 billion, not miles, light years, with one light year being 5.88 trillion miles. That's how big this puppy is, okay? Now I personally don't believe it's 98 billion. I think it's about (laughs) 97.2 billion light years. That's just my own personal opinion on it. You can have your own opinions on it, that's fine. This God, with his hand, with the, marks it off. That's a big God. That's a big God. 92 billion, or 93, or whatever it was, billion light years wide, and our God can just mark it off real quick. Pop, 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 pop. That's a big God. How big is this God? Well, the way I wanna tackle this a little bit is by looking at God's attributes. Now, we're not gonna look at all of his attributes, but if you're taking notes, you might wanna make some notes of some of the attributes of God. I'm gonna literally stand behind this quite a bit because I have quite a few notes on this, okay? But I just, we're gonna kind of run through this pretty fast. These are not all of God's attributes. These are just some of them. I've used this book by Thomas Oden, who's a, uh, theolo- I mean, just a, an important theologian of our time, uh, the living God. I've used this to help with some of this, looking at Scripture and just kind of picking some that I find to be personally helpful. Okay, this isn't all of God's attributes; these are just some of them to try to get us thinking a little bit about how big He is. So let's look at the first attribute. And when I say attribute of God, I mean His characteristics, the things that are He that, that who He is. And some of these, especially early on, are simply characteristics of him that are only of him. The first one. He is uncreated. He is uncreated. Isaiah chapter 40. Now, I am going to open up my Bible instead of turning around, and I am going to read uh, some of... There's going to be some scripture here, okay? So if you want to make notes or something or take pictures, that's fine. But Isaiah chapter 40... Verse 28, I wanna turn there. This is what it says here regarding God being uncreated. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. When Moses asks God, God, When I go to the Hebrew people, who should I tell them sent me? What does God say? God says, I am who I am. I am. It's actually in the Hebrew, it's the verb to be. I am. Who who should I tell them sent me? I am sent you. You see, you're trying to use the way you think about me to try to define me and try to put me in a nice little box. You can't do that because I just, I am sent me. Let, let me restate it in a truer way than even you're asking it. Who sent you? I am. I just am. The isness of God. He's uncreated, He's always been. He's he's never been created. This is even theologians, guys. Listen, even in the Nicene Creed, it's very important we use, they've actually chosen words like the Son is begotten of the Father, not created. See, we, we we just read through that. We just say those kinds of things. These are theologians who are like losing their lives and dying and spending their whole life trying to come up with something like, okay, how is he not created? He's begotten of the Father, but not created. Our God is not created ever. He's never, there's never been something behind him that made him or an energy or a, he's, he's un, the uncreated one. I gotta keep moving faster than this. He's uncreated, capably, he's, he's listen, he is completely independent. Uh, number two attribute, God is one. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Listen to what it says. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There's one of them. There's just one God. He's one. Three, he's eternal. This is intrinsic to God alone. Look at Psalm 102. Psalm 102, verse 27. But you are the same and your years have no end. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty One. He is eternal, the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come. He always has been, He is now, and He always will be eternal. Fourth. Thing I want to look at fourth attribute of God is He's that He's living. He's the living one. This kind of goes back to the isness of God. He just is. He's alive. Look at Genesis one verse one. In the beginning, God. He's He's living. Look at First Thessalonians. Look at First Thessalonians. Let me see if I can find Thessalonians. That's it. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's living. He's not like idols that we create or think up. Even the God, listen to this very clearly for just a second. Even the God that some of you have made up in your mind is not the living God. There is a God who is simply the living God. There's one, he's eternal, he's uncreated. Look at another attribute of God. He's omnipresent, that's a big word, he's all present. Jeremiah 23 verse 24, let's go look at this, Jeremiah 23. Verse 24, can you hide, can man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot fill, oh my goodness, I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Am I not everywhere? Can you go somewhere where I am not? Right now God is here. Right now God is at my house. Right now, God is in Africa. Right now, God is in Russia. God is outside. He's inside. He's in. God is everywhere. He fills the earth. There is no place that God isn't. Even evil places right now, in this world where drug lords are doing terrible things or, or peop, meth methods are in places and are doing terrible, God is in those houses. He's in those places. He sees all he knows. God is there. He's omnipresent. Number six, he's omniscient. All-knowing, Psalm 147. See, the very fact that I'm, al- I'm already opening up the Bible begins to show already our limits and compa- because we're already beginning to en- have to engage with the economic trinity, the God who comes to us reveals to us. Do you see that? That'll be a challenge for some who are going to be like, well, you're just opening up the Bible to to say these things. We'll talk more about that. All-knowing omniscient. Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5. This is what it says. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He knows everything. He knows everything. His understanding is beyond measure. Jesus talks about God knowing the very number of hairs on your head. Some of you, that's not too hard. <laughs> he, knows, he knows the amount of, when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows that that took place. He knows all. Omniscient. I gotta keep moving. He's omnipotent or almighty. This is from Thomas Oden. He says this of this word omnipotent. He says, it's the perfect ability of God to do all things that are consistent with the divine character of God. He's omnipotent. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says this. 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Hebrews 1.3 talks about the son being able to actually, he he holds the universe by the word of his power. The universe stays together. Amen is right. Hebrews 1.3. He's omnipotent. No uh, character, uh, 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 Attribute eight, and <clears throat> I'm skipping some, there, but I just got it with just time. He's personal. And what I mean by personal, listen to this very clearly. He's, he's greater than personal the way we define personal, but not less than. When we think of personal and what being personal, a person means... He's, he's personable, but it's, he's greater than the way we would define personal. Our, our capacity to kind of, our language to say it is going to fall short. But this goes back again to like, I mean, it's actually all over scriptures, but Moses, when he asks God, who's sending me? Who are you? He, I am who I am. And then he says, it's interesting. He's the God who speaks I, and he's the God who's named. Here he gives Moses, he says, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I've been working with these forefathers. I've been interacting with them, speaking to them, hearing them, active in personal with them. Do you see that? He has a name. This is not, God is not an it. God is not an it, he's personal. Uh, Attribute nine, he's spirit. Jesus himself says, God is spirit. Now God is localized but that doesn't necessarily define, there's times where God is localized, but it doesn't mean that that defines his essence. So today we would actually say, God promises to be in with and under the bread and the wine, but that doesn't mean that because God says he is here in this meal, that he's not at my house too. You see that? But see, that brings up something like, if you have a guy dying in the desert, right? And you go up to him because he's so thirsty, and you go up to him and you say, Hey, man, you, it's okay you're dying because the, the world is made mostly out of water. See, that doesn't help, does it? You need the glass of water. Like, I get it, the whole world's made of water, but I'm dying here of thirst and the death. I need water. We believe God is everywhere, but I need God to be here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Two people get that, but that, thats actually super helpful if you can pick up on that. We believe God is everywhere, sure, but I need God to be in my house, in my when I'm sick and when I'm—I need God to be here in this meal for forgiveness of sins. i, I need God to be in in the, the 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 fellowship of the saints. I'm going deep. We're talking about God, guys. Who He is. He is Spirit. Uh, Attribute 10, he is holy. That means he's perfect without blemish. He's perfect without blemish. He is good. Follow this for just a second, please. He's good. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly merciful. He's perfectly truthful. He's perfectly gracious. And these things unified He's holy. He is holy. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week, the holiness of God. Attribute 11, he's unchanging. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Let's just go look at it quick. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I don't change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's unchanging. Attribute 12, and my last one here today, is that he is supremely good. And I take us to Psalm 52, verse 1, where the word is actually the Hebrew word, which is such an important Hebrew word, chesed, which is love, goodness. It is... That word can't almost be said in English, but it's, it's his incredible love and goodness. He's good. He's perfectly good. Okay, so why does this matter? Because see, as you begin to engage some of these attributes, you start to ask questions about it, right? How can God be both perfectly gracious and perfectly just? For example, if God is in the place of the, the drug dealer and bad stuff's happening, how can, God be, how can God not end that? Or how can God let the little kid die of cancer? Or if he knows all, then why wouldn't he have created it? Let's see, we ask all these questions, right? And this is why the attributes of God are important to hold together. Because we have to co- in the beginning, God see, you didn't think that little Dietrich Bonhoeffer one made sense until we start to think about these things and we start to rise up against this God and, and, and we start to try to talk about his attributes and who he is. But then we have a question. Let me question you, God. How can you do this if this? And we begin to rise up in pride because we are using our definitions and we're approaching it from our humanity from the middle. You weren't at the beginning. In the beginning, God. We hate that. You hate that. we're so spot on here. Why does this matter that God is big? Why does it matter that God is so huge? Does it matter? See, as I think about it, I think, if my dad sends me the wrong picture, I'm out of here. I'm gone. If I begin to think and process how big God is, will that begin to shape things and change things and move things and the psalmist and I think it's Psalm 140-something, I don't know. One thing that I want, one thing, he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Have you just contemplated who God is recently? I've tried to do that this past week, just thinking about his immensity and power and, and um, uh, his omnipotence and his, he knows everything. This morning when I was sitting in the school parking lot down here working on my message, thinking about the bigness of god and what does that mean for me as i even share that with you and can i try to try to give you a glimpse of how big he is and what will that do for you does it mean anything for your marriage do any of those attributes of god and how big he is does it mean anything for you and your finances does it mean anything for you? And, and, and does it does it relate in some way to the the, the person that texts me this morning and says my mom's my mom's in the hospital? The neighbor who doesn't who, whose life is so off the rails, your your son or your daughter who's made incredibly bad decisions. Does the the immensity of God does that mean anything for any of that? It begins to change, I believe, our perspective. Like a like a parent, my wife gave me this illustration, I thought it was so good, like a parent, like a parent who, who sees the child on the road, right? And the kid doesn't, the kid can't see the car. The kid can only see so much. And the parent even maybe firmly grabbing or redirecting or whatever it might be to get the kid out of the way. And then it's, it, it's like, you gotta get out of the road, buddy. Why? Because I can see it from a bigger perspective. God sees things from a perspective that you can't see things. The question is, will it draw us in to trust this one or will we rebel against him? That's what it comes down to. Will you begin to rebel against this one who maybe has even a different perspective than you have or begin, who understands things potentially or who maybe has revealed only a certain amount of things to you? We don't know all, he's revealed a bunch to us. Many of you, instead of focusing on the things that he has revealed to you, are focused on the things that he hasn't revealed to you. I find that fascinating. You ask a million questions about things he hasn't revealed and yet you don't engage the things he's revealed. Does this mean anything? See, it's this, listen to this, this is so important because the the danger of this series, I'm gonna tell you the danger right now. Here's the danger. The danger of this series is that we make God so big and so huge and so far away, and so the world is full of water that we miss the glass of water we need in the desert. Who is that? That is Jesus. If through this series, we simply talked about God, and God, and God, and God, and how big he is, and how big he is, but we didn't, we didn't find this God hanging on a cross, if we never see that or we never, if we see past the cross, if we see past Jesus to some God that's huge, that's not God. Jesus says to the disciples, Thomas, I don't know the way. We don't know how to get to God. We don't know how to get there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's this God who's created the stars and a universe 92 billion light years across. It's this God hanging on a cross, paying the price for your sin and my sin. Actually, I was thinking about this a little bit today. Actually experiencing humanity, see, actually experiencing even humanity at a level you will never have to so that we can experience the heavenly. He goes to hell and pays the price for your sin that you deserve punishment for. He becomes like us so that we might become like him. Holy smokes. And yet a distinction. And yet a distinction. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, says this He must become greater, I must become less. That's what this series is all about. God becoming greater and bigger and huger and huger and huger and us becoming less and less and less and less until we are bowed down before the god of the universe <laughs> and and when we see those antlers that is the only thing that matters <laughs> it's like i got to get up to wisconsin that's what matters it's that huge it, it's that important. It's the Wisconsin state record. Gotta get that thing. When we begin to think about God like that, he becomes everything. He's that all that will matter. And it's found in Jesus Christ. That's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to keep us going down this series. Okay? And I'm learning too. I told you at the front end, I'm learning too through all this. Let's pray. Father, God of the universe, the uncreated one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, God, you who've been forever and forever will be, the eternal living God who is everywhere, who knows all things, who is all powerful. We come to you today sensing, oh my gosh, and if you don't sense this, how do you people, sensing our limits, feeling how fragile we are. Every single person in this room is gonna be dead in 100 years, everybody how fragile we are, but dust, but dust. God, I I come to you right now. I don't know if anybody caught a glimpse, but my prayer is we caught a glimpse of how big you are. And God, even as big as you are and holy and perfect you are, you don't stay 92 billion light years away. You are right here today with us. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, Lord. And so I, I, I trust that by faith. I trust that by faith. I trust that it means something for me in my life. I trust that it means something for Jacqueline and I in our marriage. I trust that it means something for me as a parent and as a pastor. I trust that it means something for our church and it means something for our finances. It means something for our sicknesses and diseases and death. Just like that lady for family promise. Hope, hope. God, I'm sorry for my sin. We're sorry for our sin, God. We're sorry for our brokenness. We're sorry for, for, for how often we rebel against you. Please forgive us, Lord. Thank you that you are loving that you're merciful, that you know those things about us and that you're working all things for good for those who love you. As big as you are, thank you for coming down, coddling us, being with us. Thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy, Jesus. We love you, we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.